hello and welcome to the Popcorn Brothers. I am live from Memphis. My name is Eli. Hello, I'm Isaac. I am live what? from Nashville. Why do you always say live? I'm, We're well, not live. I'm alive right now is what I meant. Live as in short for alive and kicking in three hours to your west. How's it in the east? It's fine. <laughs> All right. So if everyone didn't know, there was no episode last week because I have moved to Memphis. Yes, I didn't tweet about it, but I meant to, and I didn't. So sorry, everyone. But here we are with a new true. episode. How was your week, Isaac? It's been just splendid. Splendid. So What'd you do? Nothing. I mean, I was being sarcastic. It's perfectly fine. Oh, yes. Did you hear I that? hear someone <laughs> shaving in your house. I have no idea what that sounds. It wasn't shaving. It's the laundry. Oh, okay. Well, good. I'm glad you're recording in the laundry room and the kitchen and the living room. It's not in the laundry room. <laughs> All right. Well, we have a big day planned for everyone. Our first remote podcast. So if you hear any weird laundry noises or other audio uh, kinks, we are we are working everything out and finding the right way that we want to do this. But it's going to get better every single time. We swear. It is our mantra or something. All right. So this week. Commitment. We're yes, committed we are. to it. It is, it is a commitment from my heart to everyone else's heart. And what what's what do we have this week? I, I don't have the notes pulled up because I'm in a whole new room. But I know we will start this week with our This Week at the Movies. And we saw two different movies. I saw The Equalizer 2. I literally just walked back from the theater because I now live walking distance from the movie theater, which is amazing. Um, also, by the way, we didn't tell people, but I also used to live walking distance from that movie theater. When I lived in Memphis, you basically only lived two or three blocks from where That's I used true. to live. It's crazy. That's it. I didn't even realize it either. I should have known that. I knew where you live, but I never, I never thought about it because I'm, I'm across the, sh- the way on the other side. So, uh, that was a long time ago too. So <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> yeah. All right. So then Isaac saw Mama Mia 2. Uh, yeah. Yes. I could hear the Mamma Mia 2 music anytime the equalizer got quiet. It was like there'd be like a really tense moment. No, yes, I could. could. And then like ABBA would be like blaring through the wall and I'd be like, oh man. Oh, that's hilarious. Yeah, so that was really funny. And uh, then we'll have our trailer watch this week. We'll be seeing the Aquaman trailer. More, more of DC's flailing to attempt to create a decent movie and probably failing, and we'll let you know how it looks at a first glance, followed up by the meat and potatoes this week, long-distance meat and potatoes, starting with Zodiac. Woo-hoo. Zodiac, Woo-hoo. yeah. This, David Fincher, correct? That's what you said? Yes, David I Fincher. I should have seen all of his movies by now. I like. I didn't even mean to see all of his movies, I just have, because they're all good no, I know. I was going to say, if you are watching or if you're listening to this podcast and you haven't seen a David Fincher movie, I don't even know how that's possible, actually. But yeah. that was what I was going to say later. When we go through, I was just going to run through them. But, you know, yeah. he's great. I love him. Definitely in my top five. Uh, I would have to agree, even though I can't name the movies he's made all in a row. But we will soon. Anyways, I think it's time we jump into it. Are you ready, Isaac? Yeah, we can all go right, for I'm it. I'm ready. So we will start with... This week at the movies. Do you want to go first? <clears throat> well, I was also going to bring up the fact that we didn't talk about the fact that we saw Sorry to Bother oh You, and I have gosh. notes even on that, which we saw together before You're you moved. exactly but. right. It's been so long, but I can totally talk about that. Let's start there, then. We both saw Sorry to Bother You, so <clears throat> what do you got to say? Yes. 
Um, well, I had just wanted to say that I read a really interesting article. I was already kind of thinking about these sorts of things. Certainly, sorry to bother you, was getting a lot of uh, comparisons to get out. But I read a really interesting article on Slate, uh, which is called Sorry to Bother You and the New Black Surrealism. I didn't get the author's name, but that's the name of the article, which I'm sure if you Google Slate and Sorry to Bother You, it'll come right up. Um, but it was just talking about the genre that the movie kind of exists in and the sort of movement that's coming along um, with films like that that people are doing. Um do you want me to go into that now? Did you want to share your thoughts on the movie first, whether you liked it or didn't oh, like it? I mean, I, I really liked the movie. I talked with a friend of mine who said that a lot of people she knew didn't like the movie and saw it as like the characters were caricatures and it like wasn't it wasn't really that deep and it tried to do too much and it didn't have like a strong message. It just like muddled things in and never made like its point clear. But I think I think that's kind of true, and I see that side of the whole thing, but personally I I was about to say, I completely agree with that. I really enjoyed the movie for what it attempted to do. And normally I feel like I judge movies like this and I say that they're bad. But I think the I think the interesting spin and just the just the unique way in which Boots what Bootsy? Boots uh who is it? Boots Riley, yeah. I think that's Boots his name. Riley. I think I think it shows potential and I think it shows creativity and I think that gives this movie a little bit more flair and it's probably getting more hype than it should for something that a lot of other movies with surrealism mixed with the reality have probably done better, but I think it's good. Oh, that's exactly what the article is about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I think, well, I agree with everything that you said in terms of the criticisms that could be lobbied at the movie. And to me the whole time, it was very, it's very much in the vein of get out in that sense. And I just liked get out better. Yeah. I think there's nothing wrong with the movie. It's not a bad movie. I just didn't actually enjoy it as much. Like I understand everything that it was trying to do. And I think it did a lot of those things. Well, I just, I mean, personally, it's not like a favorite or anything. I I was thinking about when I walked out of the theater, I was really impressed. But the more I think about it, the more I find things that are forgetful. And I think about that. I'll probably not go see the movie again. Like I won't have a desire to watch it sure. again. I feel like it's shock value was most of its actual strength. And that's kind of not a great thing. Yeah, I can agree with that. And certainly the message is pretty heavy handed, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. I think that was kind of the purpose. But for me, somebody who really appreciates like character, I didn't think that the characters were necessarily that strong. Um, they weren't really fleshed out yeah. uh, too too much. So I mean, some of them like and especially with the main character. I'm, yeah. And I mean, kind of with the main character, I couldn't figure out. You know, he, it felt like what he was doing was wrong and it seemed like he knew what he was doing was wrong, but his choice to override that just to be successful was like, obviously that was his main motivating factor, but it felt like I didn't necessarily always understand his motivations other than he just wanted to be successful or or make money or something like that. But I felt like there should have been a deeper reason why he was feeling so conflicted but often it didn't like he was conflicted but i didn't feel that a lot of the time yeah it was kind of just like it implied things that should have been explained better possibly or shown to you yeah in the movie especially i can agree with that especially between the characters as far as relationships go it all just seemed shallow 
Um, and I just wanted to run through really quickly. So if you're not, if you haven't seen the movie, um, that article that I was talking about really showed that there is sort of this movement in film and television kind of going on right now, which they called it Afro surrealism, which was coined by writer and activist Amiri Baraka in 1974 in an introduction to Henry Dumas book, Ark of Bones and Other Stories, which sort of links this dreamlike aesthetic of surrealism to the negritude and black arts movements, which are older, but it's sort of having this resurgence again. It directly links that to the movie, sorry to bother you, directly to Get Out, directly to uh, Donald Glover's Atlanta TV show too. Um, And sort of the way that all of those movies use this irreverence and absurdity in art to address sort of almost the absurdity of the present realities of contemporary black life, which is what even Donald Glover has sort of explicitly said, I think in the article, he says, you know, there's sometimes these absurd aspects of our life that the only way to communicate how absurd they feel is by doing something completely absurd on screen. I think that's extremely intelligent and correct. And that's, that is exactly the movement that's going on. I think that hits the nail on the head and it's, it's yeah. cool. It's cool to see. Um, and I just personally, I liked get out a lot. And I think probably people have heard about that on the podcast before, but um, I liked mm-hmm. the way that to me, get out used the surrealism aspects because horror movies are kind of surreal in a way, a lot of the time, because there's this absolutely horrific things that's going on around the characters. So it makes sense to bring surreal aspects into that. Almost. If that makes sense, it makes it seem like the surrealism has a purpose almost. And when, um, Jordan Peele, like, he took the framework of a horror movie and just introduced the, he used that framework to tell, to put his message across with the surrealism coming in through the horror framework. So I thought that one was more successful personally. And it almost even dealt with some deeper um, messages. I thought too, Um, sometimes in sorry to bother you, the message didn't, I mean, there were messages that were clearly linked to contemporary black life, but it was also a lot of stuff about sort of economic realities and things like that, that could be, uh, for people of any race, certainly, uh, black people experienced them a lot, but it almost didn't like the people that worked at that slave labor camp or whatever, they weren't necessarily black. So, yeah, it's almost with get out. It felt like the aspects of the story were architected they were they were built to possibly lend themselves to a message as opposed to sorry to bother you was a really straightforward just kind of like showing you something that is the message like it wasn't like an intelligent it wasn't an intelligent way of expressing the message it just was the message itself being like shown to you so it's definitely it's it's less i think it's i think it's less good at that Better, I think, better at surrealism in some ways, and like a little, a little bolder as far as like directorial and like effects stuff goes. Yeah. But I do think, I do think that the sex success of this movie, sorry to bother you, is riding the wave of that a little bit, and it won't be remembered in the way that Get Out or possibly Atlanta will be remembered. Years yeah, like now, I so. don't see Sorry to Bother You getting awards traction really. Um, 
but people are going to remember Get Out for a long time, certainly. And Atlanta has sort of made itself a hallmark, too. So, yeah. But I yeah. don't think we're right, done with still... that. I don't think we're done with seeing um, movies that sort of insert themselves into this Afro surrealism movement either. So, oh, yeah. I think we're at the at the middle of it, if not at the early middle stages of it. So it'll still be going for a bit. And I think that's good. I like it. No, I yeah. It's, I think it's I cool think it's interesting. Yeah. All right. So that's it for sorry to bother you. I do. I do recommend going to see this. It, uh, it's got some strong themes. It has some horse nudity, but it's a, it's very good. I think to I, go see at least once for the shock value. Um, I did. There was an interesting, uh, where boots Riley had tweeted about, we went and saw it actually opening weekend and he had tweeted about mm-hmm. how they had, you know, had something to prove to show that people wanted to see those sorts of movies too. So, um, I am glad that we went and saw it in that aspect. Um, I don't think it's, I don't think that watching it at home is going to give you a different theater experience than if you went to the theater, but that is true. I think, I think you could, you could wait. Uh, it, it shows promise, I think for boot boots, Riley, but I don't think it's I don't think it's near as strong as the other stuff that's going on in the same movement for sure. So waiting would make sense unless you're absolutely a film junkie. And then I would suggest going to see it just for the sake of being able to talk about it for now. Basically. <laughs> well, if you have movie pass, here. use your movie pass. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, let's move okay, on. Okay, I'm going to hit this Mia. one. I mean, I'm going to hit it real quickly. Mamma Mia 2 is exactly what you expect and exactly what you want. You probably won't be disappointed by that. Um, if you like the first Mamma Mia, if you like ABBA, which I like both of those things, um, I enjoyed it very much. Mm-hmm. I took our mom and grandma to see it. They loved it. They liked it. Um, you know, it's campy. It's fun. It's totally like a movie you want to go see in the middle of the summertime. Just a lot of fun energy. And I think actually they did a lot of things really well. Um, Obviously this is a movie. Sometimes movies are cash grabs. You know, they make the movie to make money. That's not a bad thing. It's called, it's an industry, you know. Um, But at least you'll be entertained. Um, I actually thought that the story was really good. It was fun the way they showed flashbacks to uh, the past of Donna's like growing up and when she had all three guys and what led to her uh, having her daughter and then her daughter in the present sort of bringing their hotel back to life and spoiler alert, honoring her mother because her mother has died. So, um, but, and then bringing in Cher, like how much more campy can it get? If you're going to bring Cher in as somebody's grandma, like, but it's fine. It just goes, it works. It all works. So. Yeah. And you still get mama Mia and dancing queen again. So that's all great. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, I can quickly cover the Equalizer 2 in about the same way. Um, it's a lot like the Equalizer 1. Um, I don't think I don't think it drops the ball in any way. In some ways, I think it actually, I think it improves. It's funny. It improves on some aspects of the Equalizer 1. So this is Denzel Washington as his character, Robert McCall, who is an ex-super secret military kind of person that is, he's actually, he's like, he's legally dead. So they killed they killed him off on a mission one time so that he could go into hiding as like retirement as this like top secret agent. But what happens is um, there's a group of hitmen that accidentally kill someone in their unit. 
So like someone that's in that top secret circle of American assassins, basically. And the, um, the killer has to go about tying up loose ends because now that they've killed someone in this agency, the agency is going to find out about it and hunt them down. So the agency starts going after them at the same time the killers are going after them. So it's kind of like they stumble into a situation where it's, it's there the, uh, I guess everyone in this circle of assassins for the American government, retired or not, is at risk of being killed at the same time they're trying to hunt down the people that have killed someone that's in their circle. So it's um, it's got a little bit of espionage. It's got a lot I'm of like, action. That sounds really it's funny. He plays like I a. This was just an action movie, shoot 'em up, kill 'em all thing. Uh, it's it's not that complicated when you watch it. I made it sound more complicated than it is. I think because I condensed I condensed a lot of the content. But he starts out. It's funny. He starts out as a lift driver because if you've never seen the Equalizer, this guy Robert McCall. He basically just wants to go around like fixing like bad situations, like local gangs or like kids that are involved in bad stuff or like, you know, he's kind of like a he's like Spider-Man. If you think of like what Spider-Man does for New York City, that's what Denzel Washington does as this character. But he's just a guy with a gun. That's like a that's that's basically Jason Bourne or something like that. And he plays it. I mean, he plays it amazingly like the they give him some really good writing. The writing for the plot in this movie is hot garbage. (laughs) And a lot of it is super convenient and like the villain is terrible and it's like it's not connected well like the parts of the story that they show you don't really seem to like flow. They just kind of like cut to new things and you're like oh like I feel like there should have been a story that got me here but there wasn't. But the the individual set pieces that go on all of the action is amazing. It's even better than the first one and the first one was really good. So it surprised me that they mixed it up and made it better at the same time with the action. But there's a character in this movie that's kind of a side plot. He's not even the main plot with the villain. He's just like a kid that lives in the apartment complex that uh, Robert McCall, who is Denzel Washington, he lives there. The kid's, uh, the actor's name is Ashton Sanders and Miles Whitaker is his character name. He was a character in Moonlight. I still haven't seen Moonlight, but he played Chiron, I think, C-H-I-R-O-N. In that, uh, Sharon. Sharon. Okay, yeah, I, yeah, I have no idea. That's his name, but also three different people play Sharon in that movie, based on the structure of the movie. So oh. I'm assuming it's the old Sharon, unless he's a teenager-looking person or a child. He looks like 18 to 24. He's probably the middle Sharon. Anyways, he does an amazing job, and his character's story arc is more interesting than anything from the first movie and than anything else in the second movie. And there's a scene in the middle of it where he, um, they kind of go toe-to-toe because the kid is thinking about like using a gun. His brother had been killed on his way home from the gym. His brother was a boxer, and the kid's an artist. And he signs all of this his art. This is a long plot exposition for this movie. Okay, I'm just you okay, now. it's fine. It's a there's good action. There's some good set pieces. It's it's like a it's like a six or a seven out of ten. It's everything that I wanted from the sequel. It surpassed my expectations because I went in with thinking that they would probably just like, you know, kind of phone it in. But I've also heard that it's doing well in the box sure. office in general. Like it beat Mamma Mia on the weekend. Yeah, it did, and Ma- they expected Mamma Mia to win. But both Mamma Mia and the Equalizer did really well. Um, it seems so. That's good. Yeah, I think Ashton Sanders and Denzel Washington though are amazing. I think they're both amazing actors, and they're kind of given some garbage as far as a plot goes. But their individual writing and the scenes they have together make for something that's really, really worth watching. So I think uh, nice. I think it's a good movie. I would go see this over Sorry to Bother You if I had to see a movie again. So 
I mean, I would see Mamma Mia before I saw Sorry to Bother You again, too. <laughs> um, and I didn't plug anybody of the actors, but most of the people in um, Mamma Mia are really great. They're having a lot of fun, and I think that's the important thing in there. But Lily James, who um, people may recognize from Baby Driver or from the American version, or the American, the Disney recently live-action Cinderella, um, or most importantly from Downton Abbey, uh, she's really great. She's incredible actually i think she's a really good versatile actress that will probably be getting work for a long time she's really good nice all right does that wrap it up for this week of the movies yeah i mean i'm done all right i'm done too uh you should all go see a movie though every single week just like us unless you just want to hear our amazing plot summaries but of course we encourage everyone (laughs) to go see movies and i hope other people do do you think how often do people go to the movies on average when they don't have a podcast, Isaac? Um, probably once a month, maybe. Once a month, yeah. We go so every we week to, almost. So yeah, we need to start having like a best of for every month, like a suggestion on Twitter. You could be like, "This is the one for this month that we think you should see." That would be a good thing to do. Mm, that's an interesting idea. <laughs> yeah, we, we got to start telling to people. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, we have the knowledge. They don't have the knowledge we have, man. We are experts now, so we need to tell people. I forget we tell people what to go see. We saw two weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see if we post it on Twitter. We'll be able to look at our Twitter and remember what we saw. So that'll help out. I guess, yeah. All right. Well, as you do every week, you hear a sound. And we watch a trailer. So this week. From straight from Comic Con in San Diego, in California, what's the is that the Sunshine State? No, maybe yeah. is that no, that's yeah. Florida. <laughs> oh wait, what's what's California's name? I don't know. California, the something state. I'm gonna Google it. Hold on, Golden, the Golden State, right from the Golden State, Aquaman out of the ocean into comic-con we're here to watch the trailer so if you're driving don't stop driving you're gonna check out a short beat and then we will be back with a review of the aquaman comic-con trailer so isaac i'm going to pause this i guess i don't know yeah all right we are back and i plugged in the microphone again so that we can have proper audio and we just watched the aquaman trailer (laughs) straight from san diego comic-con this last week and this looks like a hot steaming pile of ocean garbage isaac what did you see i was not impressed to say the least uh i don't really even you know me i kind of like the marvel superheroes i don't really care about anything else but um yeah i, I was don't not think i'll be going to, to say this the most, which is funny that's like flipping it's flipping the phrase i was not impressed to say the least but th- that's like that's as good as i could say about it so yeah it's funny i just had to explain oh it yeah that's funny but the um so the special <laughs> effects here we came a long way from avatar from batman versus superman from to you know they they should be better this is what i'm trying to say i don't know how i could say that yeah that I, it looks like they well i mean there's probably effects for every frame of the movie almost yeah, and that's gonna cost uh, a lot of money effect to make that girl's hair look better because <laughs> it looks terrible <laughs> yeah 
Oh my gosh, doesn't it look so terrible? And I just assume they have it's Amber Heard, and I'm like, I just assume that she's probably not great that great of an actress. I don't think I've really ever seen her in anything, but I'm like, they were really like, well, we have Nicole Kidman and we have Jason Moma, but yeah, now so we don't have any more I, money. The one-liners so. in the trailer, like the the cheap superhero one-liners before they fight or after they fight, are bad in the trailer. I can only imagine how bad they will be in the movie if that's what they think the most interesting one-liners were. So it's going to be some really terrible rip-off Marvel humor straight out of the Avengers. Yeah, I can't believe it. I can't believe DC is really banking on this. Like, this is what they're saying is going to bring the DC universe, like, back into, like, the good graces of the audience. But, I mean, I'm sure they'll just all wait for Wonder Woman 2, right? That movie was, like, that gave me hope for DC. And this seems like a step backwards, a big one, like, stumbling down a mountain backwards. Into the ocean and drowning. (laughs) (laughs) Into the water, I was going to say. Good one. All right. Well, I'm I'm on the same page as you here, and I will say that I will not go and see this trailer or movie or trailer again or anything that has to do with this. They're probably relying or trying to rely too heavily on um, the actor, the Game of Thrones. um, Yeah, MoMA. Jason MoMA. I feel like they hope that his power can bring it into the movie because i feel like he's a decent choice but maybe aquaman was always just not that cool and not that funny and they're they're properly portraying it and there's a reason we've never read anything about aquaman before (laughs) (laughs) yeah i don't know well that's uh that's all i got to say so yeah me neither i don't have a lot for uh, you the official popcorn brothers judgment (laughs) gonna be terrible that's what it looks like so we'll see when it comes out. I will be waiting on pre-reviews and then actual reviews from people that I know before I go and see this. That's for sure. All right. Well, Isaac, uh, if you're ready, I think we can move straight into a good movie called. Yes. Zodiac. You liked yeah, this I one. Go That's ahead and good. Say that I like this. I won't say to what extent I liked it, but we'll, um, I'll allow you to hook us up with some background and production notes here if you would like any, because there was some cool stuff going on in this movie, and uh, this is your pick, so take it away, my man. Um, Yes, so this is our foray into true crime. I think I've mentioned on this podcast before that I'm a big fan of true crime. Um, I like all the, you know, Netflix... uh, docu-series that they make but um really true crime can either be really good or it can be really badly done like there's almost no middle ground to me and i'm pretty uh i'm pretty Mm -hmm. i have pretty high standards i would say um but this is a really actually excellently done um adaptation of a true crime book um, so obviously we know that the zodiac killer was a real uh, this is all inspired by real events um it's actually based on Robert Graysmith's book, Zodiac, which is in the movie because Robert Graysmith is one of the main characters in the movie. So it's uh, adapted from his book about his sort of obsession, really, with uh, the Zodiac killer and the Zodiac case and how he sort of inserted himself into that, um, which I wasn't even thinking about this right now. But it is kind of funny because I said inserted himself into it. And a lot of true crime enthusiasts know that typically if you are a serial killer, like the reason that serial killers send letters or that they usually get caught is because they're too close to where the crime is because they cannot help but insert themselves into the investigation. So yeah, they're too they close. Like they and have they get to caught, know what's going usually. on, right? They, they, they'll want to be a part Which of it. Which is, uh, 
Yes, they have. It's yeah, they're like obsessed with knowing how close like the investigators are to catching them and how like or how well they're getting away with it, sort of not like sort of thing. So they're always this, that's why they send letters, and it's really like the sort of notoriety thing for them a lot of the time, um, which is kind of funny because uh, in the there's that part where actually the Mark Ruffalo character who's an investigator is actually accused of having faked a Zodiac letter at one point, which is a very small plot point, which we won't even explore, which is why I'm bringing it up now. But because, you know, people, it's sort of that whole thing. Um, but anyway, so that's sort of a little bit of background. Um, the The movie was released in 2007. It's uh, directed by David Fincher and written by James Vanderbilt. And, uh, I have a whole lot of the, um, I guess we can go back into the, I can put some of this on here now. Um, for the background, James Vanderbilt read the Red Graysmith's book when he was in high school and he was always really fascinated by it. So eventually he became a screenwriter and um, he got the rights. He contacted Graysmith himself and got the rights. Incidentally, uh, Disney owned what? the rights to... <laughs> to the Zodiac book and its sequel. Yeah, I don't know what Disney thought they were going to do with it. I mean, it probably had to do with Miramax and the whole arm that Disney used to do. They did used to make uh, like R-rated movies through a different production company. Oh, the company dark side of Disney. Disney I had, it, it I had no idea. It was an arm of them. But anyways, Disney let the rights lapse. They hadn't done anything with it. So Graysmith got them back and he worked with uh, Vanderbilt. Uh, they actually pinched, pitched it to David Fincher and he was their first choice for it. And he actually came aboard. And there's a lot of... I started watching... I have the like two-disc Blu-ray director's cut of the movie. Um, I started watching like a documentary about it. I didn't get very far into it, incidentally. But they were that was where I got the information about Disney and where... Um, they had talked about how David Fincher was their first choice. Um, and he actually, I, most of my information came from Wikipedia, of course, but there's a lot of really information on there. So David Fincher did a lot. They did a lot of work. He was, I think sort of a part of it from the beginning too. So Graysmith and Vanderbilt and Fincher all worked together really closely. And because David Fincher didn't want to, he wanted to stick to the facts in the case. He didn't really want to embellish. He didn't want to make, the killer, he didn't want to glamorize the killings and that sort of thing. He just wanted to, you know, straightforward give you the facts of most of the case and the investigation and what was happening with the newspaper. Um, so they did, they studied police reports, they interviewed witnesses, family members, investigators, victims, all kinds of people in order to make the movie. Um, Fincher, I think he really just didn't want to make Dirty Harry, which if you know what Dirty Harry is, it's a Clint Eastwood movie, which is actually based on the Zodiac killings, which I didn't know that. Um, and it's actually the movie that they're watching in Zodiac when Robert Graysmith and um, Paul yeah. go to the, when they're at the movies and I'm not Paul Avery. I'm sorry. I meant um, Dave oh. Toshi, the Mark Ruffalo character when they're at the yeah, movies, that's, that's the movie that they're seeing meet, is Dirty right? Harry. He introduces himself. Yeah, I think that's the first time that uh, Dave and Robert meet. So, But yeah, so that's sort of the background on it. It's actually really well done. It's pretty close to... The information is actually really good. Um, it's not really embellished or, you know... It sticks close to uh, Robert Graysmith's book, which Robert Graysmith, if you... I mean, obviously, if we're talking about it. So Robert really honed in on Arthur Lee Allen, which 
some of the even in the movie they show some of this but a lot of the physical evidence doesn't really point to robert lee allen and so a lot of people really don't think that he did it anymore uh but that but this is not a true crime podcast we're not here to discuss that aspect of it we're here to discuss the movie but that is a sort of a point that ultimately people don't think anymore that Arthur Lee Allen did it, although the movie sure makes a great yeah, case for it. But there's also but... <laughs> that other guy, right? The guy that he's in the um, that he's in the basement with towards the end of the movie. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. The which I didn't incidentally that didn't really because that's such a it's almost a side scene and side sequence because it's just uh, Gray Smith, you know, hunting down another lead and it doesn't really go anywhere. And I think that that person, oh. Well, because he's looking for, I think, I don't even remember what the guy's name, Rick, Rick Marshall. He's like looking for Rick Marshall and to point out that it's him. But then that guy, Rick Marshall's friend, like creeps him out so bad in the basement that he stops investigating that. The handwriting was almost a match and it turned out to be that guy's handwriting. So isn't there a good, why didn't they ever look into that more? I thought the movie, I didn't know the story. I figured they were going to like pursue that or think that they were both involved or like working together or like one of them was the Zodiac at one point and another at another point And it wasn't just one of them. There's like, I feel like there's so many situations that you could have thought about. Then like that scene made me think they were going to go into it more and they never talk about it again. And it just seems crazy to me. Yeah. I mean, well, I think it's just, I think that was, I think that was to bring another scene. I think the point of that scene is to add another uh, sort of intense tension filled sequence because there's not really that many of those in the movie, but all of them are really well done. But I think you needed something like that towards the end that you probably weren't going to get otherwise. So I see why they did it, but also, yeah, I mean, there's all sorts of this, their, their investigation. It really, for the, if we're talking about the true crime aspect of it, the investigation just, it it involves so many different jurisdictions. And back then, jurisdictions were not great about sharing information. And that aspect of like criminal investigations and especially into sort of serial killers. I mean, this was like before serial killers were really even called that. Like the term was brand new if it had even come out at this point. So investigating them and how to do that and especially ones involving such various different areas and who's involved where and that like police departments didn't used to like to share information they kept real close to the chest so obviously that's not going to help anything and then it i think that zodiac is such a special case too because there's so many just bizarre aspects of it i like his mo isn't always the same it seems like he starts with one mo but then he picks up other ones and he does things differently and not to mention that sometimes it seems like the zodiac took responsibility for crimes that he may not have been responsible for and there's no proof that he was responsible for them and you know he goes off the grid for a, a couple of years at a time and then comes back and he hasn't killed anybody but he's writing letters so the whole thing is very it's sort of all over the place in terms of the actual case of the zodiac so it's almost like you don't know what to make of it, but I think the movie does a really a pretty good job of giving you most of the basic facts, uh, the confirmed murders that they actually do attribute to the Zodiac, um, and sort of even exploring these side things that are going on that we don't really know how they fit into the puzzle. And and really, I mean, the best part to me is sort of the the three main characters. Um, Paul and uh, Robert and 
Dave and their investigations. So, but yeah, I mean, I think it's a really great movie. I think we can dive further into it now, uh, sort of get into the actual plot of the film, what the film well, we talked about that uh, story a little that bit just through. now. I kind of prefaced it. Um, Can we talk about how beautiful the direction is? Didn't David Fincher win an award for... Yeah. Oh, of so... course. Oh, no, really? he didn't win any awards, I don't think. Um, I don't even think he was probably nominated. This movie, though, and I am always... I think I said this earlier when we were like introducing the movie to some extent. Like before we did all the other parts. David Fincher is absolutely in my top five favorite directors. I am. I was so devastated that a, he didn't win best director and B that social network didn't win best picture that year. I could not believe that King speech. I mean, I understand why King speech did win those things, but man, I really thought social network was a better one. And social network is easily probably in one of my top like 10 movies of all time. Cause it's just phenomenal. But yeah, he has such David Fincher has such an interesting um eye and the way that he it's like nobody shoots them nobody shoots movies quite like him and it's just so perfectly done in terms of like a thriller or a tr- a crime story that they really just go perfectly together. So I I mean we can just run through his other movies sort of right now, um, certainly his big splash onto the scene. He actually did Aliens 3, which, but I, I didn't necessarily uh, include that. But I mean, 7, you have the game, you have Fight Club, which everybody loves Fight Club. I do not like Fight Club, actually. That's sort of the outlier here. Almost all these other movies are really, I think, are great movies, but I don't Do you not like, like the direction Fight of personally. Fight Club? Because not liking the story or the characters... Um, no, I think that no, I think it has to do with the story. I just wasn't ever a fan of that. Um, it actually is a really great sort of portrait of like toxic masculinity and some of those sorts of things, but it's just not a movie yeah. I enjoy watching. Um, also, I already knew the big twist at the end, and now that twist is so played out. Now it's a very popular. Uh, yeah, I mean it's a like cliche, but like when I saw it when I was fifteen. <laughs> but yeah, at this it point, was, like, it, it is. Yeah. Mind, so. Yeah, and I think that I think that the more that you watch it, it just doesn't hold as well. I think the first time you watch Fight Club, it's really great, but then the more that you watch it, it sort of isn't as it doesn't hold together yeah. as well, in my opinion. But I other people might I think disagree. I, I, but yes, the direction I, is I still really good, sure. And I think the best of the direction in this case is different from that case. I think this movie, like as far as like a thriller goes and like trying to build a little bit of suspense and tension when nothing's happening, he does these great big like sweeping, sometimes aerial wide shots in this movie, especially of like night scenes and driving that make it for some reason are really good at building tension. And then also, like you said a little bit earlier, what I noticed was I feel like he's really good at framing things in a way that builds that suspense or adds some tension, but it's, it's creative. And normally I feel like those creative shots can be like overdone. Like it's the director trying hard and it's like you kind of like, you lose immersion in the film. Yeah. But if for some reason, almost everything he does, like I can't think of a single time where something he did was strange and it took me out of the movie. Like it, his direction is so proper in my opinion that it adds. Yeah. It seems, it seems yeah. really like natural almost. And to me, well, I think that comes from, he just does a great job of framing the characters within the space. And he sh- displays the spaces so well that it really makes you feel like you're there almost. That's what really is the thing that always gets me is you almost feel like you're in the room watching it actually happen. 
to, and it's kind of weird. It's very strange the way that he can do that so well. But that's absolutely one of the, I think the coolest things is that you really feel like you're there almost standing next to these people participating in what's going on. But it's really just on you know you're watching a film on screen. Yeah, I so. have to agree. All right. Um, well, you can move on to the plot for anyone that hasn't I guess summarized. Oh, uh, got more to say. Um, well, I was still <laughs> okay, just running ahead. through his other movies, too. Uh, he sort of goes away from the true crime thing with Ben Button and Social Network, although Social Network is debatable in terms of crime aspects of it, I guess. It's got a lawsuit in it, at least. Um, and then more recently, he did uh, Girl with a Dragon Tattoo and then Gone Girl, which I didn't think about the fact that I could have made you watch Gone Girl. But Gone Girl is so polarizing. I loved the book. I love the movie, too, but... <laughs> dad and caleb wow. hated yeah, actually, it <laughs> it's on hulu or something now and i was thinking about watching it soon because i was looking for the daniel craig girl with dragon tattoo movie and i can't find it anywhere streaming so that was that was going to be the one i went to yeah i, I mean it, like i said that one I, or i told you at one point recently that that one wasn't particularly well received so um I mean, it was okay. It did okay with the award circuit, but yeah. a lot of audiences didn't see it. Gone Girl's really well done too. Um, and then even he's a sort of David Fincher sort of forayed into TV a little bit. Um, he actually was he's an executive producer and did some mm-hmm. directing for House of Cards and uh, oh, Mindhunter. Mind I've seen like half Netflix, of that. It's so. really good. Mindhunter, that's a really good show. Yeah, I haven't got. I want to watch it. I still haven't quite gotten into it. Um, it's a little slow yeah. for my taste, but there is a really excellent um, portrayal of a serial killer. Yeah, I in fell that off because it was slow, um, but I enjoyed everything that I watched. Yeah, so. yeah, but yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty well done, and it definitely sticks towards his sort of style there. Um, but yeah, I'll move into the plot with this um, and try not to. I mean, you can interrupt me at any time if you have something yeah. you want to comment on. Um, so the plot of the movie begins on July 4th, 1969 with Darlene Farron and Mike Majot who are at Lover's Lane and they're like hanging out and then somebody comes and mm-hmm. kills them. He shoots them. Um, well, actually, he shoots both of them. Darlene does die, but Mike survives. Um, and that's sort of the first... That's not necessarily the Zodiac's first kill, but it's uh, sort of the jumping point for... Uh, the investigation and everything. So one month later, the San Francisco Chronicle, which is where our, um, which is where two of our main characters work, uh, along with the Vallejo Times Herald and the San Francisco Examiner, they receive encrypted letters written by the killer, calling himself the Zodiac and taunting the police. Uh, and the letter includes a cipher. Uh, they know that the letters are real because the Zodiac included information that only somebody who had been there would have known. Um, so they treat it as real. They publish the cipher in the newspaper and, um, a local married couple actually solves them. It says that the Zodiac says that his identity is included in there, but it's actually not. Um, so at the newspaper, political cartoonist, Robert Graysmith, who is Jake Gyllenhaal is really interested in the letter and sort of the case, but he's pushed aside by a crime reporter, Paul Avery, who's Robert Downey Jr., and the editors, because obviously he's just a cartoonist. He doesn't have any need to be in there. So they push him away. Um, in September, a couple of months later, the killer attacks a law student, Brian Hartnell and Cecilia Shepard at Lake Berryessa in Napa Valley. Uh, he actually stabs them and actually shows up wearing a hood and uh, like a black 
getup that does have his little zodiac symbol on it too. Yeah, this one, this um, one was real creepy. Again, yeah, Shepard dies, but Hartnell survives. Again, the guy survives. It's insane and the girl that dies. he survived um, too. And while we're here, we can. That- Oh, yeah. We can talk about both. All of the scenes with Zodiac killing people are so intense in this movie. And it's really well done because, like I said, Fincher didn't want to glamorize the killer. And he does a really great job sort of of the way he frames the murders is... So the first one, when they're on Lover's Lane, he it's obvious that it's just a man, but you don't really see his face. And you he's purposely left out of most yeah. of the shots. Which is interesting because obviously then that way you're not um, focused on him. You're almost focused on the kids and what's going on. And it's these scenes are terrifying because they're just so straightforward and just plainly done. And I think leaving the killer out of the frame is terrifying because you almost don't know where he is in terms of his relation to the people. And again, like we said, Fincher really does a great job of putting you in that moment. So it's so scary. Um, and intense and it's slow paced and it's because there's, it doesn't change time almost. It almost seems like it happens in real time. So it's like, it's just so scary. And the, the stabbing attack at the lake is really horrifying too, because it's so strange. See, because that one, you can't really leave the killer out of that one, but it's so strange just seeing this black hooded figure there. So you don't know who it is either. And they do a great job sort of keeping Zodiac anonymous in the movie because we don't know who it was. And they just do it so well within the film that I'm really impressed by that. Don't they give him the same like lumbering limp that um, uh, Lee Allen has, though, like too obviously a little too obviously to make you think it's him. Oh, I mean, they probably do. I didn't notice that when I watched it this time, but um I mean, certainly since the film is based on the book, which asserts that Arthur Lee Allen was the killer. um, I'm sure that was purposefully done. Um, So, Art, did you have anything else to say about those? No, you hit the nail on the head. They're they're horrifying because they seem so real and they're like, played out in like a realistic time yes frame. it's yeah, so it's just scary like, it's just odd <laughs> to have to focus on like seeing the victims too the whole time and not like the violence being glamorized it's oh yeah just like the victim's emotions as much as possible and that's like that's hard, way harder to watch yeah it's in a in a kind of funny way it doesn't this movie i will say that the closest you ever get to i think real empathy and connecting with some of the characters is when those characters are getting murdered because you obviously know that they're probably yeah. kept murdered and it's like terrifying. Um, so then I think they're so the Zodiac kills again, and I think he's still writing letters to the to the uh, or taunting the police or whatever. Um, so this is when this part of the story is when Grace Smith and Avery start to connect. Um, because I guess Grace Smith keeps inserting himself into it to some extent and Paul seems annoyed by Robert but um but eventually he sort of relents because Robert actually gives them some really good insight into the killer because he's really good at puzzles and he's sort of I think for some reason Robert can tap into what the killer would be thinking and sort of why he's doing certain mm-hmm. things 
Um, and so they start to kind of work together uh, on it. So Paul starts to share information with Robert. Two weeks later, San Francisco taxi cab driver Paul Stein is shot and killed in the city's Presidio Heights district. Um, and so from there, we're introduced to San Francisco police detectives Dave Toshi, who is Mark Ruffalo, uh, and his partner Bill Armstrong, because they're assigned to the murder of Paul Stein. And this is the one that I can never... It seems so out of place to me. When you look at anything that's attributed to Zodiac, it just seems so strange. The MO completely changes, which this is me (laughs) turning this into a true crime podcast. But it seems so out of place. I still can't figure it out. But it is confirmed to be a Zodiac kill because Zodiac mails pieces of Stein's bloodstained shirt to the Chronicle, again, with taunting letters. How could those cops be so Um, irresponsible? The ones that saw mean? a man passing by, like with with the oh. same lumber that they've been describing the whole movie as, like he goes away and they like they didn't stop him because he was white or something, and they thought they thought the suspect was black. Well, again, yeah. So there was a miscommunication in the radio that was the like radio call that was sent out that said it was a black man when it wasn't, um, and even. Though it was quickly quickly corrected, I think it's also I think it also has to do with the fact that they didn't know that they were hunting Zodiac. Like you wouldn't have necessarily known this was yeah. a Zodiac kill prior to any just prior to getting the information or whatever. And again, not to mention that none of the murders had taken place in San Francisco yet, so it's not like somebody was already assigned and expecting anything like that. Um, again, it goes back to it was just a different investigations were done differently. Yeah. Back you know, then. and we've learned a lot. You um, know what I want to say about this. Since then, sort of the FBI profiling and everything, which is what the subject of what's the subject of Mindhunter, um, it really changed the game in a lot yeah, of ways. Something um, there's a lot of scenes in this movie during like the course of over these murders that we talked about, where Jake Gyllenhaal has to like he's trying to cover up the fact from his young kid that um, the murders are like on the news and on the radio and all over the place, and I pro- I can't even imagine like what would it be like back in a time like that when there's like such a like consistent serial killer out there like murdering people in all sorts of areas and it's just slowly getting closer to you yeah like, you ever like raising kids or just like living in these areas and like you didn't have access to information well, back then, like you do now so like you know who knows yeah i mean it was a it was a big deal to it was a, the at one point you know zodiac threatens that he's gonna you know shoot out the tire of a school bus and then basically mow the kids down one by one while they get off the bus which terrifies the whole city um but yeah, it is interesting to see. Obviously, Robert is just so interested in the case and what's going on, but he is trying to hide it. He's sort of trying to hide his own obsession too. But I remember, I do distinctly remember this. Maybe you don't remember this, but that always, the sort of fear, when I think about the fear of something like that, to me, it always goes back to the uh, Washington, D.C. sniper, which again, I my interest in true crime, I'll tell you where it sort of started from, I think. I used to watch the news a lot when I was a kid, and I distinctly recall watching the Today Show. I would always watch the Today Show before I went to middle school. And I distinctly remember watching the Today Show every morning when they were investigating the Lacey Peterson disappearance, when they were investigating the Elizabeth Smart disappearance, when they were talking about the Chandra Levy murder, and then... The Washington, D.C. sniper. I remember people in D.C. 
And I mean, everybody was terrified. People in DC couldn't hardly even like leave their house because they were, they, people were getting shot in a, at a Home Depot parking lot at gas stations. Like, and you had no idea where it was coming from. And I remember, I think it was over like two weeks, two weeks or so, maybe more than that. But that it, everybody was just gripped with fear even if you didn't live in DC almost, because it was just terrifying to think that that would be happening and you not have, be aware of yeah. it. Yeah. Huh. That's weird. I can't, I can't imagine. But so I always liken I like it I to that. Im- maybe I just, I, I still don't watch the news really, but like definitely before social media and like the way information is now, I, I don't think I ever paid enough attention to what was going on to ever have to experience that kind of fear. So it was really fascinating to me to think about it while I was watching this movie because I was like I was like playing yeah. RuneScape on our dial-up internet. Like I wasn't like watching the news when I was a kid. So it's just a uh, it's it's an interesting thought, and I'm sure a lot of people like I mean kids these no, days yeah. that watch it, you know, they're like, there's no way they could like think about how that would be or really know how it would be to not have any information to think about stuff like that. Oh yeah, because I mean I mean yeah we we get information completely differently now than even we did 10 years ago. And then certainly back in the seventies. So, um, do you think this man would have been caught? That is a really interesting aspect. Caught if it started happening now, like the same person. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Um, well, I think that, I think that you would be able to, the letter thing is, I don't think that flies very easily nowadays. Um, but there are a lot of aspects of the whole letter writing thing that is sort of mystifying even to this day. Um, and I mean, certainly handwriting analysis was in its early phases to some extent back then too. But forensics has just come so far to me that I don't think you could possibly really get away with it nowadays it, in that terms. Just because, I mean, like I was saying, investigations have come so far, science has come so far in that sense that I don't think it would be as easily easy to get i mean i don't think you know they always say there are x number of active serial killers currently in the united states and it's just some crazy number that you couldn't even fathom but i don't even know that i think that's necessarily true because i think it's so hard it's so hard to get away with any sort of murder honestly in today's uh in today's you know based on in today's world (laughs) i guess um so I don't think to kill this many people and to be simultaneously taunting police about it, yeah. I don't think you could get away with it. Um, All right, well, let's move on to the rest of the plot. But there is, well, a lot of the, I would, did want to say that a lot of people do commend uh, this film for the way that it puts you sort of in the 70s mood and really captures, I think, kind of an offshoot of what you were talking about, about how people were feeling in that age and how things were sort of this slice of life 70s aspect of it. I think that they re- a lot of people have really praised yeah, that. Yeah, I think it's hard to too. make an act uh, a good a decent portrayal that makes people that weren't around in that time understand the emotions of people based on the way the world was at that time. And I do think this movie does it a lot better than a lot of movies I've seen. And one of the movies that I've seen, uh, I signed a non-disclosure agreement about and I can't talk about it yet, but that movie was did not it did not it did not make me feel like i was in that time period it was like it was too much like it overdid it to the point that it just seemed it just seemed ridiculous and and dumb in a lot of ways and we will talk about that movie when it comes out and i cannot wait to share my opinions on it and talk about that experience so but for now let's move on to the rest of the plot that's cool okay so um we were actually at a really good stopping point because after the stein murder and the letters that come from there uh the letters and the murder stop. 
1971, detect- the detectives question Arthur Lee Allen, who is a suspect in the Vallejo case. Um, there's a lot of circumstantial evidence that matches him, and but a handwriting expert insists that Alan didn't write the Zodiac letters, even though they make a big deal about the fact that Alan is ambidextrous. Um, at this point, Paul Avery gets an anonymous tip about another potential victim of the Zodiac from years ago, and he goes and investigates it on his own. And he sort this is sort of the point where he falls out of the... Uh, investigation to some extent i guess because uh that aspect of him investigating that other potential murder by the zodiac and the fact that the zodiac actually sends paul a personalized letter threatening his life Mm -hmm. um, causes avery's paranoia to sort of spiral out of control he starts abusing drugs and alcohol and he eventually leaves his job at the chronicle yeah i really want a button that says i am not paul avery I thought that was so entertaining, and I I googled it. I googled how much one would cost because I think that's really dope. I just want to own one. Yeah, uh, that was that's an interesting and like terrifying part of it too. Um, I'm sure that was scary because you know the fact that somebody wants to kill you. Yeah. And back then, not having faith that the police could probably catch them. Jeez. Um, so without any new developments happening, uh, Dave Toshi's investigation also slows down. Um, even though Robert Graysmith uh, persistently contact- contacts him about the Zodiac murders, um, and Graysmith is still interested, still trying to figure everything out. So eventually, uh, even though Dave can't officially help Robert, he sort of slides him information under the table. He helps connect him with different um, investigators in the different jurisdictions so Graysmith is able to continue his own investigation. Mm-hmm. Uh, he he's profiled in the Chronicle about it. He gives a television interview about the book that he's writing, and then he starts to receive phone calls with heavy breathing. The creepy phone calls. Yeah. Um, there is a side plot to this movie that involves Robert, where um, he meets this girl, and then they start dating, and then they eventually get married, and they have kids, and. All this stuff goes on, um, but it's not really the most important part of the movie, so I kind of left it out of the, of the uh, plot summary here, but it is there. Mm-hmm. Um, he continu- So Robert continues uncovering circumstantial evidence implicating Arthur Lee Allen, um, sort of places that he was at any given time, the fact that he, he eventually comes to the fact that he knew some of the victims... Um, but again, the physical evidence, fingerprints and hand, handwriting, the fingerprint that they had found at the uh, Paul Stein crime scene doesn't match uh, Arthur Lee Allen. Um, eventually, though, Graysmith is still convinced it's him. He publishes his book and he had at one point Graysmith had said all I he said, like sort of his he's obsessed the whole like sort of last act of the movie which includes that really terrifying scene where he's investigating rick marshall and he ends up in that creepy guy's basement is all about how obsessive robert is about the case and figuring out who it was and sort of his own life sort of spirals out of control at some points too just based on that um but eventually he said that he just had to look him in the eye and know that it was him and so i think that that's what the scene where Robert sort of confronts, quote unquote, Arthur Lee Allen. He doesn't even say who he is or anything. He just stares at him. Yeah. And they make eye contact and it's a big dramatic moment. Um, but so then he publishes his book. Um, it's a big bestseller. But then in the final scene, 
Mike Mageau, who had run away after his sort of, after he was attacked and all that, he disappeared and the police couldn't find him. So they couldn't ask him any questions or anything for years and years and years. Um, eventually they find him in Canada and a investigator has a series of mugshots and Arthur Lee Allen's mugshot is included in that. And that's the one that Mike picks out. Yeah. So seemingly confirming that Arthur Lee Allen was the Zodiac. But you said that they don't. So that's the end of the movie. But you said now they don't think he was the murderer, even though all this stuff points that way. That's what I have read on the Internet. They're still saying that the physical evidence doesn't match. Um, then, uh, but to me, I mean, so the physical evidence is this fingerprint and it's the handwriting samples. But. I will tell you that I quite frankly seem even veering off of the movie. It seems like all of the circumstantial evidence towards Arthur Lee Allen is really bad. Um, based on where he lived, based on the fact that he knew the first couple of people who were killed. There's a, they investigate. There's that girl that they go to at the, at the prison. Yeah. Uh, Gray Smith visits her at the prison and she confirms that some creepy guy named Lee was hanging around with Darlene and that he could, and that she confirms that his name was Lee. Um, so it's very, there's a lot there that is really iffy, but I almost wonder, I almost start, I've started to think just on my own that it's possible that there were multiple people that were involved, like two people working together. Um, well, yeah, it's the film I don't know, guy. Or maybe it's the film guy in the basement, and it's Lee Allen. It's gotta be because he was writing the letters. Yeah, but those don't connect to each other in any capacity. That they figured out because they didn't look into it clearly. That's my opinion. I mean, maybe that's possible. It's. I almost wonder. I mean, the handwriting thing, which they even match to it today. I feel like if you, I don't know. I'm not a fingerprint analyst, so or a handwriting <laughs> analyst. <laughs> So I can't say for sure, but I'm like, what if you just wrote so slowly and so methodically? Like, isn't it possible that you could disguise your handwriting? But maybe not. Uh, yeah, I would think in a way, if you had like a sample of every letter of someone else's handwriting, you could mimic that consistently to the point that you could hide your actual handwriting. But I don't know. They talk about it a little bit in the movie and they're like, your brain decides how letters are supposed to be. And there's something about that you right. can't change. So I think maybe if you start writing like that, it would like it would make its way into your normal writing. So maybe they would be able to like argue against it. But I don't, I don't know. I, no, I really yeah, I totally that. get that. Yeah, I don't know. The whole thing is it's very strange. The whole crime, the crimes around it, surrounding Zodiac and his sort of uh, the grip he had is just it's weird. Yeah. And it makes for a great movie, I think. I think it does, too. So are there any major themes? I talked a little bit about the one big theme I had, which was like the feeling of like raising a kid in the time, maybe, through Jake Gyllenhaal. And we talked about like his obsession and the way that the book was translated into a movie to make it seem like one Lee Allen was actually guilty, even though he may not be. Um, I'm not sure. Like, what, there's, I don't really think there's too many other themes. This is, it's a true story movie. Um, so, well, yeah, I think it's just trying to straightforward, trying to tell the Zodiac story in a straightforward fashion. But I do, uh, the main theme clearly is the way that I think people who are involved in these sorts of, um, things can sort of 
become so obsessed. That's really what it is. Because yeah. at various points in the movie, it's shown that Paul, Robert, and Dave are all, to some degree, obsessed with the Zodiac case. Um, eventually Avery's Avery spirals out of control because his paranoia is so great. Yeah. And I think he's frustrated that he can't figure it out. Dave certainly is frustrated that he can't figure it out. He constantly goes to the crime scene at the corner of Washington and cherry and just sits there and sort of like looks and, you know, eventually his partner gets tired of it. So he transfers out, but Dave is still he still wants to figure it out and then obviously we say that robert graysmith went from being a political cartoonist to a true crime writer because he was so into the case and i will say that that speaks to sort of this outside um to the true crime that exists the fandom i don't even know that that's what i want to call it but people who are fans of true crime a lot of them really are really devoted sometimes to even one particular case. Um, If you're familiar with Patton Oswalt's wife, um, Michelle McNamara, who she had recently, she recently passed away a couple years ago. Um, But she was a true crime writer and she was obsessed with the golden state killer out in California. And she was writing a book about it and she didn't get to finish it because she had passed away, but they just recently caught the golden state killer. So it came back in the news. Her book was a huge bestseller. Just, I mean, it came out a couple of months, not even three or four months, maybe before the DNA, the DNA evidence was collected and confirmed that the guy that was arrested is the golden state killer. And so that is a, it's Robert Graysmith isn't going to be the last person that ever just became so obsessed with being almost an armchair detective that that's what we sort of, they are sometimes called on the internet um, that he went and wrote a book and sort of helped figure out what was going on. And Michelle McNamara was really responsible for bringing uh, the golden state case back into the spotlight to where they started. It renewed interest in the case and they eventually caught the guy. Yeah. Hmm. So it really, I mean, the Zodiac is really, a tr- movie for true crime lovers all the way around, I think. Um, and a well done one at that. So, yeah, I had heard that it was slow and not that great for multiple people. And I think those people are dead wrong and that it is slow, but it is great. And I give it the old thumbs up the 100%. Yeah. I was about to say on here, I have the criticisms of the movie are that it's slow. It has an unfulfilling conclusion, which sorry that nobody ever figured out what actually happened to the Zodiac. <laughs> so it can't have a fulfilling, filling conclusion and the fact that there's a lack of action scenes but i don't know why you would expect action scenes from a police procedural but i mean if you've grown up on cbs then on all the cbs shows then i bet you would be expecting that but yeah it's not quantico i don't like it i don't like it oh i actually liked quantico Uh i was (laughs) i was trying to throw shade at what csi became ultimately and then the eight hundred thousand carbon copies of it that currently run on cbs at any given time yeah, you remember that one episode of CSI though, where the kids, where there were all the bullet holes in the shed because the kids were spinning the gun down the pipe and trying oh, to dodge of the bullets. <laughs> I was a they huge. All, do you not remember? I was a huge CSI fan, and so like if it's any episode, yeah. if it's any episode from like the first eight seasons before it got really crappy, I can. I, if you say, "Do you know that CSI episode?" and I'd be like, "Yes." <laughs> <laughs> all those kids would be dead. They would they would have been dead the first time. I don't. I have no idea how any of them survived. For one, yeah, like, I mean that one. Two. Do the you old CSI episodes were really good. Um, 
they were pretty well done and their science behind them was pretty solid, but it just got out of hand eventually. Yeah. I liked it when Grissom would come head to head with like serial killers in his house and he would have to like think his way out of it and like talk with them. Oh, that first serial killer that they yeah. were, that one was absolutely fascinating. And the way that he had like changed, I think he had transitioned or something to that effect. And it was, oh, so crazy. Yeah. And then when I fell off was when they pulled that guy out of the grave like they used, like they tied up a bunch of oh <laughs> the Quentin Tarantino episodes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, those are the Quentin Tarantino episodes. Yeah, that was my um, I it, it was sometime after Grissom. I watched through when Grissom left, and then um, I still was watching it. But after that, it was never the same. Uh, but then eventually, I fell out of it. So yeah. when I felt like every episode was being recycled, and I could kind of tell what was going to happen every time, I was like, oh, I'm done with this. Yeah, that's fair. All right. Well, you got anything to say in conclusion? Um, no, I think that we covered almost everything on there. So um, this was our foray into true crime that I really want to do because I'm a huge fan. Like I said, I mean, you essentially um, just made it. And I wanted to talk podcast. about. I know I wanted to talk about David Fincher, too, because I love David Fincher. But you've seen so many of his movies that I was going to be hard. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I do. I really do. You kept saying this isn't going to be a true crime podcast while we were recording, but it I'm pretty sure <laughs> you made it into a true crime podcast because I could see how much I've been talking and how much you've been talking. And the odds are in You your also kept asking me questions about what I really thought about Zodiac. <laughs> and I was like, that's not part of this movie, but I'll tell you. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. Well, I think that's good. You ready to wrap it up for this week? Yeah. All right. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Remember, you can follow us online at PBMC Podcast on Facebook and on Twitter. You can email us at PBMCPodcast at gmail.com. And you can also check out our website at popcornbrothersmovieclub.com. Calm. So we will be back next week. We did miss a week because I moved, but we are now consistent and saying strong and have our recording figured out for the most part, hopefully. But next week we'll be returning with this is my pick, is it not? Did we decide? Do you have the spreadsheet? Yeah, it's you. Did I pick it? Um, I, yeah, I'm pretty sure you did. I can tell you what I think that you picked. What is it? I thought we were going to do Princess Mononoke. Oh, yeah, we did. When is it? Okay, so this is coming in theaters. Do you know when it plays? Uh, we already missed it, I think. Oh, no. <laughs> All right. Well, yep, I have it on Blu-ray. So, uh, Isaac, you should buy a copy. This one is worth buying. I'll go ahead and say that. I think right I'll now. just get it from the library. I have a tattoo from this movie. That's that is oh, a, yes. enough of a... Um, then we will... We're that? very... We, we definitely need to talk about that one. <laughs> All right. Well, um, thanks, everyone, for sticking around and being patient with us on our week off. Um, We will be back next week with more great stuff and our second, I guess, animated movie. Right? Just our second one? Yeah, you keep picking them, but... (laughs) Yeah, I'm all about it. I love that stuff. So, anyways, um, I'm Eli. I'm Isaac. And this has been The Club.